getting ahead of God. How many of you have ever like gotten ahead of yourself? Anyone ever get ahead of yourself? You know what that means when you get ahead of yourself? You just kind of, you went a little bit too far, too fast. Like every time you get in debt, like if you're in debt today, if you got a big old credit card bill or something like that, you got ahead of yourself. That's what happened. Like before you had the money to sustain that lifestyle or that purchase, you said, I want it right now. I want it right now. So you got ahead of yourself with that. We can get ahead of ourselves in a lot of areas. You can get ahead of yourself in relationships. You start treating that relationship kind of more like it's an intimate marriage relationship before it actually is an intimate marriage relationship. Uh-oh. 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 So there's a lot of ways we can, a lot of ways we can. Moses, you're going to see today, it's, it's just like a few verses after what we read last week, but a lot of time has passed. Actually, he's about 40 years old. We're going to pick up today. And at this time of our reading in Exodus Chapter 2, we're going to start at verse um, 11 and read just a few verses there and study it and kind of take this part of his life slowly. Um, most theologians believe he had already like, been revealed to him his purpose to be the deliverer of God's people. But here was the problem. He knew God's will, but the problem was um, he didn't bother to seek God's way or God's timing. And so he ended up trying to do God's will in his own strength instead of the power of God's spirit, if you've ever tried that, it is a lesson in futility. It is a lesson in, in failure. And so Moses fails big time. And so today, um, I'm trying to underscore this decision. Like, there are some decisions, you guys, in life that will change, it'll change your life forever. There, and, I'm, and I've been praying for you all week. I believe that you have, honestly, there are, all throughout our day and our week, there are decisions and choices that we're making. But there are some of them that carry large consequences. In fact, let me say it this way. Your life is directed by the decisions you make. Your choices are the hinges of your destiny. So you make your choices, and then your choices make you. And by the way, we're the only ones responsible for our choices, aren't we? You can't blame your parents anymore, your surroundings, your, your conditions. The reality is we are what we choose to be. Your choices make you who you are. I love what Don Yeager says about our choices. He says, decisions are the frequent fabric of our daily design. So we're going to talk about choices today in light of the choice that Moses made. He's now 40 years old at this time. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. If you have your Bibles or the notes that are inside of that bulletin, go ahead and pull them out. We'll have the scriptures up here as well. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And it says, looking this way and that and seeing there was no one around, he killed the Egyptian. And it doesn't say how he killed him. A lot of people believe there was a final blow. Maybe it was a sword or something like that. But he kills this Egyptian and hid him in the sand. How many of you know that hiding your wrong does not erase the wrong? It just, it just postpones its discovery is what it does. And some of us, we try to bury the things instead of dealing with the things. And all hiding is doing is postponing your healing. And that's what it's doing for Moses. Moses makes a big mistake, gets ahead of God, kills this Egyptian, and then he buries him in the sand. And then it says in this next verse, I think, yeah, he asks the one in... Oh, go back. I'm sorry. Did I get ahead of you? Go ahead. Go back. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day, check this out, he went and saw two Hebrews fighting. So here he is. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I can help. I'm the deliverer. I'm, 
I'm the guy. I'm the man. So look what it says. He asked the one in the wrong. He's always, he basically said, okay, I got, the, I got the right idea. You're wrong. Hey, you're wrong. You're right. Which always works, by the way, in, in arguments to just point out the wrong. Doesn't that always work? Doesn't that? No, it never works, right? So here's Moses again. He's like, I am the leader. And here it is. You're wrong. So stop. Never works, right? So here, again, Moses is like, hey, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you did that Egyptian? And Moses goes, uh-oh, that thing that I did didn't stay hidden. That thing is coming back to me. And he was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. In fact, even Pharaoh found out. It says, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, and he went to live in Midian. And the story picks up in Exodus that he actually stays there for 40 years in Midian, kind of in exile. It's there he meets his wife, his father-in-law Jethro. He becomes a, a shepherd. He's, he, he's, he is exile for a huge, I'm telling you, this decision he made changed his life forever. Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. And then he spent the second 40 years learning he was nobody. And then he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. If you do a good thing, though, the wrong way, how many you know that becomes its own problem? A good thing the wrong way. Like, it's, some of you have some good intentions. You, got good, like you want to lose weight or you want to be healthy, and so you try to put off some weight, but you do it the wrong way. It becomes a problem in and of itself, right? How I many you know some people that way that try to lose weight the wrong way? They just stop eating or something like that, and it's so unhealthy. They create these, these patterns of uh, getting weight and, and losing weight, and it creates a problem in and of itself. Moses gets ahead of God, and God's timing, and he makes a mess of it. And this message, so this message today, is dedicated to anyone who has made a mess of it. Anyone here have ever made a mess of it, who's made some decisions that have impacted your life, maybe even suffered some consequences because of the decisions you've made, even unintentionally hurt some people along the way. Listen, God is not finished with you yet. And God, he shapes and prepares imperfect instruments before he uses them. But Moses learned some lessons from his failure. He learned how to walk in step with God. And today, that's what I want to teach you. I want to teach you the lessons Moses learned like through his failures and his experiences, how to walk in step with God. But there's only one kind of Christian. You need to know this. There's only one kind of follower of Jesus, those who have failed God. Every one of us have failed God, and we will fail God. In fact, what's your definition of failure? See, my definition of failure is to miss the will of God. And, and, and some of us, we might have Moses' definition, like in this stage of his life, Moses' definition might match some of your definitions, or at least your working definition of failure, which some people's working definition of failure is, don't get caught. If I didn't get caught, ain't no harm in it, and no one's wiser, so what's the problem here? But the true definition of failure is to miss the will of God, and the definition of success is to be in the will of God. But to do that, you need wisdom. We need wisdom. Instead of reacting to situations, we need to learn how to respond with wisdom. And so there are four questions that wisdom will always ask. I'm going to show them to you. Four questions that if you want to respond 
in wisdom, you got to ask these four questions, and it's important that they are in this order. Write them down like this. Number one, let me show it to you, then we're going to teach. Number one is the what question, and by the way, this isn't what as in like, what should I do? You are nowhere near close enough at this point of responding in wisdom to know what you should do. This is the what does God want me to do? What's God want from this? What is the desired outcome? What does God want from this situation? That's the what question. What's the outcome here that I want? Instead of jumping in, okay? Then number two, the second question is why? Why? This is a personal question, a question you ask yourself. Like, why do I want this? Why am I running after this? Why, why do I give? Why do I serve? Why do I want this promotion? Because you may give, but maybe you're giving for the motivation of just having a tax write-off. Or maybe you argue for justice and you care about justice, but you really only care about winning the argument, not about the justice. Or maybe you go out of your way to show kindness to people, but you really want to look like you're a really good person. So Jesus said, not your notes, but Matthew 6, he said, be careful that if you do your deeds of righteousness in front of other people, uh, that you will, not, you will not receive your reward before my Father in heaven. Well, be careful, because why? The motivation is important. The why is important. The why we're doing this. So what? Why? Here's the third question. It's when? Oh, the question of timing. The elusive question of timing. The right thing at the wrong time becomes the wrong thing. Let me say that again. The right thing at the wrong time becomes the wrong thing. A good thing taken out of its appropriate season can be a destructive and a harmful thing. So can we all agree, sex is pretty good. Pretty good thing, right? God made a pretty good thing when he made sex. That's okay to say, y'all, okay? God did it. He made that. He invented it. He's cool. God, that's awesome. Okay? So, but, but sex was intended, like it's made, God made it for pleasure. God made it for, for intimacy, to be created. God made it for procreation. But sex out of its intended and appropriate season of marriage can be very destructive to the individuals. Can destroy. So, so it's important that we get this win, the question of timing, because the right thing, the wrong time, can become the wrong thing. Here's the fourth question wisdom asks. It's the question of how. What, why, when, how. The question of outcomes, motivation, timing. And lastly, it's the question of actions. Here's the problem with this, man. Most of us, we don't go from, the, we don't go from one to four. We go to four to one. We start with like the actions, don't we? We react to things and we make a mess of it. We start with reacting in our actions and it's only in hindsight that we go, oh man, I probably shouldn't have said it that way in that time. It's probably not a good time. And then by the way, hindsight, you can actually see your own motivation in it in hindsight a lot of times where you're like, oh, the reason why you actually reacted that way was because of your pride, your selfishness, your anger, your ego, your fear, your anxiety, your insecurity, that's actually why you got so angry or frustrated, why you responded the way you did, and the outcome way beyond what you even intended, let alone what God wanted from it. So if we're going to respond in wisdom, then we got to flip this thing and stop going from how, when, why, what, and do it in the right order of wisdom. What, why, when, and how. We get ahead of ourselves, and we get ahead of God, and Moses did as well. Here's some reasons. Let me give you, and I'm going to teach you what Moses learned, but let me give you three reasons 
how are the reasons why Moses got ahead of God, and we probably do the same things. Here they are. Write these down. Number one, uh, we get ahead of God when we focus on the event rather than the big picture, right? So Moses here, he saw that some man, his fellow Hebrew, was being mistreated, and he focused on the unfairness of the immediate situation rather than thinking ahead, and that the remedy of the problem was a task that only God could solve. And God's plan, by the way, would be to deliver his people, but it would be enacted 40 years down the road. So he focused on the event rather than the big picture. We've all done this. How many times have you won the argument, but you damaged the relationship in the process? Why do we do that? Because we got so focused on the event and we lost the big picture. We say it like this, we can win the battle and lose the war right? So that's like a tactical decision of warfare. And I feel like, like Veronica and I, like our, as our kids are getting older, Veronica and I have become like tactical military strategists. Does anyone else feel this way? Parents of older teenage kids or something? It's like our bedroom has become the master war room, the strategy room that we're like putting our heads together going, okay, how are we going to handle that and win? And that one, that's not a battle worth fighting. Let's, what if we do this? And, and then this will be the best time to do it. It's crazy, but, but it's important to under, timing is that important. We cannot get so sucked up into the event that we miss the big picture because I want so bad for my kids not to make the same mistakes that I've made. But if I overreact to the event and miss the big picture, I can get them to behave rather than become. Did y'all catch that? Okay. So, so, so we get so focused on the event that we miss the big picture. Here's the second reason. We follow our reasoning rather than listening to God. Oh, easy, easy. we get sucked into this easy, man. We just follow what is logical, our reasoning. We look at the situation, and based on our perspective, we come to a faulty conclusion, and even a conclusion that we can explain, explain that's right, explain that's good of what we should do, but it's still based on our limited human understanding, whereas God, uh, on the other hand, he's got the right course of action. And by, listen, he actually wants you in, he wants you to know it. He would tell you if you would just listen to him, but we lean into our logic, our reasoning, rather than listening to God. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, not in your handouts, but it says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to what? Destruction, death. See, there is a way that seems right. There is a way that seems logical, but just because it's logical does not mean you can stop listening to God. Just because it makes sense, that's wrong and that's right. I can see that. Any idiot can see that. God, I got this one. <laughs> or how about this? You're wrong and I'm right. God, I got this one. They're, they're definitely wrong. I'm right. I'm good. You know, I can, I, I, let me just explain to you how wrong you are and how right I am. That'll work. Said everyone who's married. Here's where it gets really challenging, and maybe you've experienced this. It's this idea of like, but, but why would I not do something right when I know it is the right thing to do if something wrong is being done? Like, wait a second. Like, because, I mean, here's, Moses wants to do a right thing. I mean, they're, they're enslaved and being beaten. This man who's getting beaten in front of him. And by the way, check this out. It, it was God's plan 40 years longer for these Israelites to be enslaved and tortured and beaten and no doubt some of them even killed at the hands of 
Egyptian with Egyptians with whips. They're why is it wrong to do something that I know would be right if it's within my power to do right, and I know that what is being done is wrong? Because I mean, there's even a Bible verse about this, right? To him who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a it's a sin. I'm not trying to overcomplicate good and the good you should do. Please, do good. Do good things, okay? Continue to do good. I'm not trying to complicate that, which, by the way, I don't think you're going to get to heaven one day, and God's going to be like, oh, you did the wrong good. This was the good, you know, but you did this good. Ah, you missed my plan. I don't think, so let's not, let's not overcomplicate kind of the good, but don't stop at just good actions. Why don't we also... Try to shoot for good timing. Why don't we also, you know, try to also have good motivations? And why don't we ultimately try to aim at a good outcome? See, I just think we overestimate the immediate action and we underestimate God's timing, our heart posture, and the outcome that God desires. Y'all with me today? Are you getting something out of this? Okay. I'm just trying to help you with some wisdom, seeing how Moses here follows his reasoning rather than listening to God. Here's the third reason why we get ahead of God, and that is we act on impulse rather than seeking God's will. We react. It's impulsive reaction. Although defending the helpless is good, Moses should have considered like his impulsive action. And, and what was the wisest way really to respond and accomplish this? Acting impulsively will almost always cause regret. Acting on impulse, even when it's based on the right principles, such as justice, like it was for Moses, it almost always is wrong. Acts chapter 7, in Stephen's message, his sermon that he gives in the New Testament, he gives some insight into this stage of Moses' life. Check it out. Acts chapter 7. Now, this is the New Testament, but he's talking about Moses. It says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So he had, he had education, he had talent, but he didn't have the wisdom of God. How many of you know you can have talent and education and still not have the wisdom or the spirit of God? Okay, so here he was, and that might even, come, we're going to talk about this because Moses was like, you probably are familiar with Moses like, well, I'm not, I can't speak very good. The Bible actually says, no, he actually was very well educated, very influential, a powerful communicator, a great leader, okay? When he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. Whose mind did it enter? His mind. So he's not consulting God here. He's just like, you know, I think it's a good idea. I think, I think I should go visit. So Moses, it says, when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren, they understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they just couldn't get it. So here's Moses. He's enacting Operation Deliverance brought to you by Moses, okay? And he's like, how, how come they don't get this? I am the man. I am the deliverer. So look what it says. It says that he, is that the end of that verse? Okay, thank you so much. Um, spiritual leadership is God-appointed, not self-assumed. Spiritual leadership is God-appointed, not self-assumed. The desire to do something right overcame Moses. You know what his problem was? His problem was this. Check this out. You may want to write this down. 
He dedicated, he dedicated himself to the will of God, but not to the God whose will it was. I want you to let that thought sink in for just a moment, that you and I can become so dedicated to the will of God, so driven by a false sense of purpose that we might inadvertently take matters into our own hands and leave God out of the loop, so dedicated to the will of God instead of the God whose will it is. Moses learned some important lessons through pain and through failure, through his personal experience. Later in his life, he was able to tell the Israelites this in Numbers chapter 32, no doubt from his personal pain of experience. He said, you may be sure that your sin won't stay buried in the desert. Your sin, he says, well, what? It'll find you out. So let me ask you a question here, because Moses learned some lessons. He learned how to stay in step with God. Let me ask you that question. Do you feel like today that you're in step with God? Do you feel like you're walking in the will of God is another way to say it, that you are in agreement with God's will and his purpose for your life? Are you, are you ahead of God's plan? Are you lagging behind God's plan? Are you walking in step with God? Or let me say it like this. To what level are you in step with God? I'm going to give you five levels today. Moses learned these, these principles from his own failure, his own experience, and how to be in step with God. He was a level five leader. and He was at, in step with God at level five. You are in here today. You're at one of these levels in alignment with God, in step to God's will for your life. And I'm going to show you kind of what those are, what those levels are, and how Moses kind of represents those and learned those lessons along the way. Y'all ready for this? How many of you want to get in step with God today? Amen, somebody? Okay, let me show you how. It's not as hard as you think, man. It's not as mysterious as you think. Level one in step with God starts here. It starts with this, asking God in prayer. That's what it, when you have a decision to make, when you're going through your day, which are choices every day, ask God in prayer. Now, I put it at level one, not because it's the simplest or the smallest, but because it's supposed to be first. We need to learn how to pray as a first response instead of a last resort. To, and I'm, I'm talking about like really prayer, not, not the I'll pray for you prayer. Not the hand prayer emoji, you know what I mean? Praying for you, hand prayer emoji. Not that. I'm talking about like really communing, talking with, with God, praying. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12 and 13 Look at this, Moses, he started off his journey, walking out his identity, his purpose, his calling, just getting impulsive, reacting, not going to God about his timing. And here he is now in Exodus chapter 33, much later in life, and he's talking to God and he says, Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Look what he says, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor in you. Like, I need to know what you know, God. Teach me so that I can find favor and walk with you. Level one, walking in step with God, begins with really praying. As in, like talking to God, not maybe the religious prayer that, that maybe you were raised with. I think sometimes those of you who have been in church for a while and we've been taught prayer, sometimes we've been taught prayer, it's, it's a disservice to us because it's the way that it was taught, not nothing against it, but, but sometimes I think that a lot of Christians treat prayer as transactional instead of relational. 
So you may have taught prayer like the five-finger prayer. You do these steps or something like that. Like first, when you pray, you got to like start off with adoring God and praising God. Spend some time. You got to spend five minutes first praising God and worshiping God. And then after you do that, you move into confessing your sins. You got to confess your sins first because God ain't going to listen to you if you're a sinner. You have any sinner, he can't hear you. He's going to be deaf to your sins, stuff like that, okay? And then after that, after you confess your sins, you got to tell him thanks, you got to be grateful for the things he already done before you ask him for anything else. How dare you ask him for anything else if you ain't grateful for what he's already done? So when you pray, come give God some praise and worship him, confess all your sins, and then tell him thanks and, and that you're grateful for all that stuff. And after all that, after God is good and buttered up, then you can present your requests to God. Do you see how non-relational that is? Transactional, almost manipulative that is? It's like the person who comes to you, buttering you up, complimenting you. You're like, what do you want? What do you want here? And I think that's how we kind of relate to God sometimes. Like, I remember worrying about this in my own prayer life. Like, man, am I being too selfish? I mean, my prayers are so me, me, me. I need, I need, I need. God, help me with this. And I need you here, God. And I need your direction. And, and, and I'm, I've wondered, like, doesn't God get fed up with me? So needy. Can I tell you something? God will never get fed up with your needs. In fact, he wants you to ask him. He wants to hear your needs. He wants to hear your requests. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. He says this. I ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Throughout the Bible, people asked Jesus, they brought their needs to him, and he told them to do it. All throughout the Bible, Jesus' mother goes up to him. The first miracle he did, remember? And she's like, hey, they're out of wine here. We need some wine, Jesus, okay? And the lame came to him, and they asked to be able to walk. The blind came and wanted to see. The Roman centurion came and wanted his servant to be made whole who was sick. He didn't go, you people, gosh. Me, 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 just so selfish. What about what I want? You ever think about what I want? Always on your own knees. What about what Jesus wants? How about what me? He never did that. No, he was actually delighted. He didn't rebuke them for being selfish. He was glad they brought their needs to him. He said, yeah, you can see, you can walk. Your servant has been made whole. Your faith has made you well. He wanted their requests to be. So no, you, God will never get tired of your requests. And it doesn't need to be transactional. It doesn't need to be a religious list. You just have to talk to him and include him. And I think for that reason, a lot of us don't actually pray because it has been so religious. It has been so formatted and, and formulated. And it just it does not need to be. Now, yes, thank God and praise God and you know, confess your sins to God. Do those things. But my goodness, it needs to. You're talking to a God who is personal, not transactional. Are you hearing me, you guys? So that's level one. Pray about it. Now, you cannot live a godly life or make wise decisions or even become the person God has called you to be or wants you to be unless you move to level two. Unless, unless you open up your Bible, you will never be who God has called you to be. So let me give you level two. Level two, walking in step with God looks like this. Look to the word for wisdom. Look to, this is God's holy book. Every question in your life, the word of God holds the answer. The word of God has the wisdom you need for all of your life decisions, for all of your relationships, for all of your crisis and problems. The word of God has the answer. 
People have told me throughout the years, Pastor, I prayed about it. I prayed about it, and I just don't know what God wants me to do. And I've asked them, what else have you done? I don't know. I just prayed about it. and just, I just don't think God's answering me. He's not listening to me. People say that. The people that do say that, they talk to a God that they don't know. You know why? Because they've done all the talking and none of the listening. Just recently, I was talking to, some months ago, but uh, to a young man who, like, just quit his job, and I'm like, why did you do that? What? And he just, I felt led by God to quit my job. I'm like, well, what else did you do? Oh, no, I just felt like, I just felt led. And I'm like, oh, my God. No, no, like, you should be looking, like, to the Word of God. I told him, you should be looking to the Word of God before you make those... He said, Pastors, the Bible doesn't really say nothing about my job. Yes, it does. It says something about every relationship and decision. The Word of God has the wisdom for your life. Now, if you want to walk in step with God, please pray. Pray about it. But open up the Word of God and look to the Word for wisdom. And I wonder, like, if you're not looking to the Word, what are you looking to? For your decisions. You remember what Moses looked to? Look what it said in Exodus chapter 2, verse 12. It says that Moses, when he saw that Egyptian beating that Hebrew man, it says he looked this way and that. What do you look to? Do you look to what people think? Do you look to who's around? Before you respond, look who's around and then I'll act this way. Who's not around and then I can act this way. What do you look to before you respond? See, Moses looked this way and that, but the Bible doesn't say he looked up, did he? He was more concerned about being caught by man than being pleased, God being pleased with him. If you want to walk in step with God, you need to look to the word for wisdom. Psalm 119, verse 98 says this, your commands, God, are always with me. Look at this. They make me wiser than my enemy. The word of God brings wisdom to our life. And there's a lot of fear that sometimes people have based on the decisions they're making. Do you ever get anxiety about decisions? Like, I don't know what, if you knew, if you had confidence that you are who you are, that you are where you are, that you are, that even what you have is based upon what God has given you, that you were in step, there is no room for anxiety and fear to the servant of God who believes they are walking in step with God. To walk in step with him, you need to look at the word. The word of God is powerful. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, you, may be thoroughly equipped for all the good stuff God has planned for you. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's what I'm looking to, to light up the decisions that I'm making. I'm going to look to the word of God for wisdom. That makes you a level two walking in step with God. But let me give you two kind of extra little caveats when you're looking to the word for wisdom. Okay, write these down. Number one, please examine yourself, not others. Don't use the word of God to mind read other people and judge other people's motives or their actions or their fruit. Don't do that. That's not what the word of God is useful for. The word of God is useful for examining your heart. So when you look to the word of God, look to your heart. Examine your heart. The Bible says it is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. So when you look to the word, you let it examine and cut and penetrate and reveal truth to you. 
You study the Word as the Word studies you. And here's the second thing you need to do when you're looking to the Word. Study the big picture. What do I mean by that? you got to become a student of the Word of God. Look, if you're serious, you, you cannot be a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a healthy disciple of, uh, of Jesus, if all you do is open your Bible on Sunday. I'm sorry, you can't. You are not going to be a healthy disciple of Jesus. You need to get a Bible. You need to open that thing up. You need to know it. It needs to know you. You need to study that thing. And not just that verse. Study the big picture. So if you're having trouble in your marriage or with communication, go to the index, man, and look at relationships. Look at communication and read all throughout the Bible what it says about how do I communicate? How am I supposed to listen to others? How can I be a better listener? It's all there in the Word of God. You just need to study it. If you want to walk in the will, this is what it looks like. This is what Moses learned. He learned how to, how to pray and include God and invite God. He learned how to look to God and his word for wisdom. Here's level three. Level three, walking in step with God is this. Seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. Some of you, are, some of you probably are good at level one. You pray. You may even know some of your word. But this may be the next step for some of you where you need to get some people around your life to do life with. Open your life up to other people to receive counsel and advice from them, okay? This is actually why we do small groups here at Discovery. Here's the whole reason. So that you can actually have other people in your life giving you counsel, giving you advice. You can't do it alone. This is a perfect, if you're kind of new to Discovery, everything we do here at Discovery is through the small groups. It's everything. You're not going to get all that God has for you or all that, that Discovery offers if you're just going to come on a Sunday. you got to get. And if you're serious about walking in step with God's will, you need to get in a group. And let me give you this, this link. If you don't know it already, don't have it, write the link down. I love discovery.church slash groups. You can sign up for groups starting today. They actually start this week. I think we have like over 100 groups. There's men's and women's and young adults, couples, outreaches, all kinds of groups if you're serious about walking in the will of God and staying in step with God, then you need to get in a group. We just received this cool praise report a couple of weeks ago um, where someone actually said they wrote in the connection card, turn it in, and, which is so cool. If you got stories, we want to we we know them. But she said that over these last three years, she has lost four family members, and they've died. And she said, if it wasn't for small groups, I would not have survived or be standing uh, where I am today, that the friends, that the connections, that the community, the support was so helpful to, to her surviving the storms that these last three years have brought into her life. That's what the groups have to offer. Now, look, you don't know if you're going to go into a storm or not, but some of you, listen, you have so much wisdom, some of you, so much experience to offer that no one's getting it because you're not around people. Like, you're the one, maybe you don't, you're not always in need of advice, which, you know, be careful that you're standing too strong lest you fall, okay? Everyone needs that advice, but maybe you're someone, though, who's like, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm faithful, I'm consistent, great. That doesn't mean you don't need a group, that means you need to be in a group to encourage somebody else, okay? Everybody should be, there is so much wisdom, so much of what God has done in your life. You've heard so many messages, read so much, you got so much and no one's getting it. It's dying with you because you're not around in community with anyone else. There's a lot of you that would fit that category, that there's so much, and you would be so surprised if you would just get in the group, and, and God put you in a situation where something just inside of you comes out, the advice, the word, the wisdom just comes out. God brings it to remembrance in that moment. You didn't even know it was there, but he just brings it up, and the reason why is because you were faithful to get into the moment, okay? Exodus chapter 18, 
verse 24, Moses actually tells a story of how he used to be someone who didn't have, wouldn't accept advice, did it by himself, did it on his own. He, he eventually learned his lesson. He pulled Aaron and, and Miriam and all these leaders to himself. He has this father-in-law named Jethro, and we're going to study this in a future message a little bit more. But Jethro, his father-in-law, comes to the camp later on. This is, Moses learns his lesson here. He's like, Jethro, come and see what I'm doing. Come and see how I'm leading. Come and see how I'm structuring things. And Jethro tells him, bro, you are going to kill yourself. This ain't good. And he gives him some advice, and it says that Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He was open to advice. He was level three here, accepting advice from, from others. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says this, the way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise, they listen to advice. Proverbs 19 and 20, get all the advice you can and be wise the rest of your life. Okay, you want to walk in step with God? You want to be in the will of God? I believe some of you really desire to. Well, you got you to pray and really pray, not transactional, but invite God, commune with him, talk to him, get into your words yourself, look to the word of God, get some wise counsel into your life, meaning get in a group, open up to some people in a group, and then it gets really hard. You thought, okay, these last two are hard, probably the hardest for me. Level four, walking in step with God. Number four is to wait on Lord, how many of you have a hard time with this one, man? Being patient, waiting. Here's just, I, I, I can't stand waiting. I'm an impatient person. Driving, waiting rooms, everything. I just, I just am. That's, you know, I'm trying to learn and, and God is refining me, but it just is. It's a, I, I was flying um, recently. Last time I was flying, they actually put us in a holding pattern. Have you ever been in a holding pattern on a plane? It's like where they circle the runway and they're just like, <laughs> And I'm looking out the window, and I can see my destination. And I just feel like, like that's where a lot of us get. We like, we're looking out the window going, I can see what I want. I can see the promotion. I can see the relationship. I can see this. I can, just give me a parachute, and I can just jump out. Just let me go get it, God. And God's like, no, I want you to circle this a little bit. See, because God's got some instrumentation panels. He's actually, he knows the situation on the ground isn't ready for you to land yet. Listen, God does not put you in a holding pattern to punish you. He puts you in a holding pattern to protect you. So when you think God is taking his sweet time, listen, he's actually working things out. One way to say it is God is preparing you for what he has already prepared for you. So God doesn't put you in a holding pattern because he's slow or cruel. It's because he's kind and because he's good. And those people who are at a level four walking in the step of God acknowledge that I can, I, I, I can wait on God. I don't have to rush. I don't have to kick down the door. I, Moses learned this. Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, used to be reactionary, used to be impulsive. But he goes on, and he actually tells the Israelites, based on his own wisdom, experience, and failures, he says, hey, guys, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Like, you don't need to kick the door down. You don't need to run. You don't need to react. You don't need to be impulsive. It's better when God does it for you than you doing it for yourself. Wait. Wait. Exodus chapter 33, verse 15. In fact, Moses telling God, like, before going into the promised land, and he's, he tells him, Moses tells the Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, I'm good. I'd rather wait than get ahead of you, God. Oh, I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to get ahead of you again, God. I'm not going to go further than what you want me to go. I'm going to wait right here. Unless you go with me, don't send me. I want to walk in step with you, God. You got to wait. You got to wait. It's better if God does it. Trust his timing. 
Trust the process. Those people who are level four, walking in step with God, understand that when you're in a holding pattern in life, when you're delayed in life, that you don't get frustrated or angry. You don't try to run ahead. You know that God is actually preparing the way for you. God is working things out, that it's a blessing and a protection, not a punishment. I can wait on God. I'm going to wait. That's level four. Level five, write it down like this, is obedience. Obey the Lord. Level five, walking in step with God. I'm going to obey what God reveals. I'm going to obey his word. Some of us have buried some things in the sand. And that hiding is just preventing your healing. And I'm not talking to everybody here. Look, look, I'm, I'm not. I'm talking to very few people in this room. I acknowledge that. I love you. It, this church is for anyone at whatever stage of faith and journey that you are on. But for those of you that are actually serious about walking in step and in the will of God, level five walking in step with God is obeying the word of God and the will of God as he revealed it to you. Now, look, some of you are actually waiting for, like, you want God to reveal something future like, I want God to do that. What do I do with my life? What do I do with my education? What do I do with this person, this relationship? Am I supposed to marry them? And uh, why don't you give me? And who are you going to give me? Until you start obeying the will of God that he's revealed to you now, he's not going to reveal to you his will for the future. So I got I to obey the Lord. John chapter 14, Jesus says this, if you love me, what? Obey me. And then check this out. Look what he says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. He will never leave you. He, who he's talking about, is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who leads you into all truth. I think it's really important here to understand that the Holy Spirit's leadership in your life, like him leading and guiding and revealing to you, is actually connected to your willingness to obey. Some of you, look, the Holy Spirit has direction has wisdom, has advice, has insight for you, but you can't get it yet because you haven't decided to obey yet. It's actually that decision that you say, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to follow you, God, right where I'm at with what you've called me to do that releases the next step of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit into your life. Are you seeing that, church? Luke chapter 11, verse 20. I know this. I'm sorry for getting heavy on y'all, but this is, this is level five. If you're ready for it, here it is, Okay. Luke chapter 11, the people who hear Jesus said the teaching of God and obey it, they are the ones who have God's blessing. Not those who hear and feel good, it's those who hear and obey. Okay, let's look at Moses. Moses, again, learned the lesson. He learned a lesson from failure, from his own experience. Deuteronomy chapter 30, towards the end of his life now, he's passing on the wisdom that he's learned to the next generation. He says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, or beyond your reach, like following God, it's not supposed to be a grind. It's not supposed to be a hard, hard thing. He said, it's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, well, who's going to go up there to heaven and grab the will of God? It's somewhere up there mysterious. And bring it down and proclaim it to me. Someone's got to tell me the will of God. They got to go there to come. Who's going to do it? He says, no, that's not where it's at. He says, he goes on, and it's not beyond the sea. So you have to ask, well, who's going to go out that distance way beyond where I'm at right now? Because where I'm at right now, I can't know the will of God. Who's going to go way over there and go find the will of God and then come back and then tell me so I can? He says, no, that's not it. The will of God isn't up in heaven. It's not way far away from you. No, the word of God is very near to you. 